Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon from Oak Hill Church in Humboldt, Iowa. We pray that it helps you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and sow Christ wherever you are. For more information about who we are and what we're doing, go to oakhillhumble.org. If you've got a Bible this morning, I invite you to turn to Psalm 27. Psalm 27. The Psalms are in the middle of your Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. The words will be up there on the screen in back of me. Uh, Psalm 27. And just like last week, uh, we're going to stand and read this Psalm together. And so I invite you to stand. Uh, we're doing this to remind each other. Uh, that we're in this together, all right? We're, we're in this together. We, we come as individuals, but we're part of a family, and we're part of a family that is under the Word of God. And so let's, uh, let's read uh, Psalm 27 uh, together. Ready? Let's read. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. You may be seated. Forgot to tell you I was stopping there at verse 6. Well, if you're new with us, uh, we are in a series called The Four G's, uh, Truths That Can Set You Free. And if you're just joining us last week, we looked at the first G, and that is this, God is great. God is great, so we don't have to be in control. God is great, so we don't have to be in control. And I ended with this challenge to us, let go because of what you know about God. Let go because of what you know about God. God is our safe place. He's our peaceful river, our divine warrior. And so be still and know that he is God. God is great, so we don't have to be in control. Today, the second G we're looking at is this. God is glorious. God is glorious so we don't have to fear others. That's the main point that we're going to unfold today. Again, I'm adapting this from Tim Chester's book, You Can Change. So second G, God is glorious so we don't have to fear others. Fearing others. According to Ed Welch, the Bible highlights three primary fears. The fear of death, the fear of financial ruin, and the fear of others. Of the three, the fear of man can be the most subtle and most menacing and most enslaving fear for us as believers in Jesus Christ. And so my prayer today has been that I'm asking for the Spirit of God to free us from the fear of man. 
to release us, to liberate us, so that we wouldn't fear others, we would love others. And so, with that in mind, we're going to make our way through this message by answering three simple questions today. One, what is the fear of man? What is the fear of man? Two, why is it such a big deal? Why is it such a big deal? And then three, how can we be liberated from it? So let's just take those one at a time. The first question is this, what is the fear of man? We could define the fear of man as simply being controlled by what other people think of us. We crave their approval and we fear their rejection. And that sin, the, the idol here, the fear of man, leads to a host of other sins. And I ask you this question today, do you struggle with this? Do you struggle with the fear of man, with the fear of others? And I ask you 10 uh, diagnostic questions to, to find out and try to answer this honestly, okay? Number one, have you ever struggled with peer pressure? Not just talking about kids, but adults as well. Number two, are you overly concerned about your appearance? You find yourself looking in the mirror a lot and getting on the scale at home. Number three, do you crave compliments? Sometimes even fishing for compliments from others. Number four, does your view of self fluctuate depending on your achievements and the opinions of others? Your view of self, does it fluctuate? Is it determined by the opinions of others and your personal achievements? Number five, do you ever say yes when you should say no? Perhaps some of you can identify with that one. Number six, do you try to hide your flaws and your failures so that others would think that you've got it all together? Ouch, that one hurts. Number seven, uh, do you struggle with jealousy? Do you struggle with jealousy and comparing yourself to others? Number eight, are you easily embarrassed? Are you easily embarrassed? Number nine, do you feel underappreciated? Underappreciated. And then number 10, I think all of us can identify with, are you scared to talk about Jesus with others because you fear what they might think of you? In other words, you care more about your reputation than God's? I think all of us in this room struggle with the fear of man, and some of us are controlled by it more than others. I wish I could say that I'm free of this fear, but I'm not. Most pastors struggle with this to some degree. I want you to think about this. Uh, how many jobs do you stand in front of hundreds of people week after week, and how many Jobs do you humbly challenge and maybe even confront people with the truth? I'm often dealing with the fear of man. And yet I'm reminded of this uh, challenging verse from Galatians 1.10. It says this, Paul writes, for, I, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. The reason why he's saying that is the gospel can sometimes be offensive, but we will not water down the truth in order to please man. 
I'm speaking on behalf of God, holding up his word here. And it's not to make you happy every Sunday. There are times where you're going to walk out of here thinking, that really stung. But I want to give you God's word. I've been commissioned to do so. And so the challenge for us today is that we all, to some extent, will deal with the fear of man. In our text today, David, who's writing this psalm, is dealing with a different kind of fear. He's actually fearing man to the extent that he's fearing for his life. Most likely, he's on the run as Saul is chasing after him, wanting to kill him. And so most likely, we speculate about this, but he could be in a cave where he pens Psalm 27. And look at how he describes his situation in verses 2 and 3. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Now, obviously, we don't have people who are seeking to kill us or injure us. At least I hope not. We don't fear others because they can hurt us physically, but sometimes we fear others because they might not like us or accept us or respect us. And so it feels like a lot of pressure coming at us internally and externally. And sometimes we just want to hide like David in a cave. Thinking about you uh, kids and students in particular, you're going back to school soon, trying to fit in trying to be cool, right? Fearing what other people might think of you. And sometimes their opinions, their expectations can begin to control you. They get a grip on you and tell you how to think and what to feel and how to act and what to wear, when to laugh and who to be. There's lots of pressure on our young people to be liked and to be accepted and not rejected. And I think it's harder than ever in our culture today with social media I mean, we've got to look good on Instagram, right? We've got to get a bunch of likes on our page, and we can't hurt anyone's feelings as we do most of our communication via text and Snapchat. But even, even for us as adults, I mean, this is a struggle for us. We can get fixated at times on how others perceive us or how we perceive they perceive us. Isn't that messed up? And before we know it, we're in bondage. We're enslaved to the fear of man, which leads us to the second question. Number two, why is this such a big deal? So if everyone struggles with this to some extent, why is it such a big deal? Proverbs 29.25 says this, Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. A snare in ancient times was a, a noose or a, a net to capture animals. It was hidden so its prey couldn't realize that it was there until it was too late. And the fear of man is like that. It sneaks up on us and catches us and kills us and before we know it, eats us alive. It's a horrible way to live enslaved to the expectations and opinions of others is absolute bondage. And so this proverb challenges us 
Do you want a snare or do you want safety? And yet I think there's an even bigger concern, a more Godward concern that I want to draw out this morning. And we get this from Isaiah 51, verses 12 and 13. Listen to these words of Isaiah the prophet. I, God is speaking, I am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies, of the son of man who is made like grass, and have forgotten the Lord, your maker? When I read that, I began to tremble. Who do you think you are, God says, that you would fear men and forget about me? That's an insult to a holy God. Are you seriously going to live like that? Are you willing to fear man and forget about God? This verse exposes our pride, doesn't it? We care so much about what other people think, sometimes we could care less about what God thinks. Guys, when we uplift man and disregard God, we insult him because only he is the glorious one. Only he is the holy one. This is why the fear of man is such a big deal, because it belittles God. God is great and and God is glorious, but when we fear man, we just kind of put him on the same level as everyone else, or worse yet, disregard him altogether, which leads us to question three. How can we be liberated from the fear of man? How can we be liberated from the fear of man? Two things. See glory and find security. See glory and find security. See the glory of God and find security in Christ. See the glory of God. Look at Psalm 27 again, verse 1. David writes, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Though David may have feared man, he feared God more. He knew God was with him and for him. And this was a personal Knowledge, right? It's not knowing about God. It's truly knowing God relationally, in a relationship with God himself. Notice the personal way he addresses him. My light, my salvation, the stronghold of my life. He knows his Lord intimately. And notice, in the midst of his fear, he's got one thing on his mind, doesn't he? One thing, look at verse 4, one thing have I asked of the Lord that that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So it looks like three things, but they're all getting at the same thing. He says to, he wants to dwell, that means to remain and to abide, he wants to dwell in the house of the Lord, to 
gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. That means to stare and to behold. He wants to inquire in his temple, to seek and to meditate. So in other words, more than anything, David wants to see God. He wants to meet with God, to behold God's glory. I find that fascinating. In the midst of his fear of man, he fears someone greater, someone more glorious. Guys, when you see someone that you fear, what's the one thing on your mind? Someone whose approval that you crave, what's the one thing on your mind? Is it how you come across? How they're perceiving you? Will they accept you? Listen, God must loom larger in our minds than any other person. God's words must loom larger than the words of any other person. His eyes must be in our view more than any other person. Tim Chester says this, whenever you see someone whom you fear or whose approval you crave, you must imagine God next to them. That'll put things in perspective, won't it? Reminds me of a true story I saw on uh, Twitter from a guy named Jonathan Parks. I think he's from England. And he shares this story. Let's see if I can find it here. Kind of printed out in several pages on this thread of tweets. This Sunday past, John Piper turned up to church and I was preaching. <laughs> now, for those of you who don't know who John Piper is, uh, he I know Josh and me personally have been uh, greatly influenced by, by this man as used by God to help us in pursuing God's glory above all things. His preaching, his books have been so influential. Anyway, he still preaches, but just not as a senior pastor anymore. So here's the thread. First, a bit of context. This is Jonathan Park speaking. I'm 35. I'm not the lead pastor of our church. On average, I'll preach eight to, eight to ten times a year. I'm not a seasoned preacher. I don't have an impressive degree from a prestigious seminary. By all accounts, I'm a bit of a greenhorn preacher. Never heard of that term, greenhorn, but I think I know what he means. On Friday, my bro informed me that our good friend Steve might be at our gathering on Sunday. Steve is brilliant. He's an older brother, pastors a church in Liverpool, and someone I look up to dearly. And I must confess, I immediately felt pretty nervous to preach before him. For two days, I felt nervous about preaching in front of Steve. Every time I thought about it, I pictured Steve's face, and I hated that. I knew it was wrong. I asked God to take this away from me. Preaching isn't a performance before men, right? But the butterflies continued. Sunday rolls around. I go about my normal routine, albeit rather nervously this time. I turn up to my office at 8 a.m., prep some PowerPoint. I'm going over my sermon notes, etc., and that's when my bro FaceTimes me. By the way, my bro is our lead pastor, and he's, he's, um, he's texting me from Spain because he's on sabbatical, one of the reasons why I'm preaching. He's obviously has something important to tell me. He says, I just wanted to give you a heads up that John and his wife are going to be there this morning. A bit more context. We have a running joke in the office where anytime we need a guest speaker, I'll say straight-faced, well, let's get John Piper to do it. 
The joke is funny because of its absurdity. It's funny because Piper, in my mind, is one of the greatest preachers of the last 50 years. I just want to give you a heads up that John and his wife are going to be there this morning. Now, in that split second of trying to figure out who exactly he's talking about, I recall an upcoming conference in Belfast that Piper is to speak at. I recall a friend of ours who used to work at Piper's church and is still friends with John and his wife today. John who, I say. He stares back with it's happening look in his face. I nearly fall over. Seriously, why me of all Sundays? Why this one? I forgot to mention I've been fighting a bad cold all week. <laughs> we had a big volunteers party on Friday night. I had to clean up for hours on Saturday. I just finished my sermon Saturday evening. Why, God? It suddenly becomes hilarious that I've been so nervous to preach in front of Steve. <laughs> no offense, Steve. But hilarious for only a moment because I have to preach in front of John Piper. I quickly go over in my notes. Am I sure what I'm saying is biblical? Do I have any Piper quotes? No? Good. Wait, do I add one out of respect? I'm freaking out. Honestly, I'm shaking. And then the texts start coming in. I'm praying for you. You'll be fine. He's just a guy, right? And the one that crushed me and my fear. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Zephaniah 3, 17. I went fairly quickly from, I can't believe I'm so concerned that Steve will be here, to, I can't believe I'm so concerned that John Piper will be here, why? Because I was reminded of the most incredible thing. The Lord your God is in your midst. Wow. So how can we be liberated from the fear of man? First, we see God and his glory. We see God as bigger and more glorious than whomever you fear or whose approval you crave. We see God in his glory. Secondly, we find security. We find security in Christ. Look at verse 5. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. The fear of man causes us to be insecure, to put on a false self for others to perform for others in order to impress them, to pretend for others like we've got it all together, to escape and isolate from others, to hide. Some of you have been hiding all your life. What's your false self? What part are you always playing for others? The perfect parent? The teacher who's got it all together? What, what part are you playing for other people? You see, early on in life, we learn to pretend, to package ourselves, to present ourselves in the best possible light, don't we? The person we'd like to be. The sad thing is, is that over time, you not only convince others that you're someone else, you begin to convince yourself that you're someone else because you're so desperate for someone to love you that you'll do anything to keep doing the dance and playing the part. And soon, our masks 
have slowly become our reality. Guys, the only way to freedom from all this is to be secure in someone greater, someone more glorious, someone who knows you completely and loves you fully. And that someone is Jesus. We must find our security in Christ. David says in verse 5 that he will hide me, he will conceal me, he will lift me. David's been speaking about the temple, the one thing I've asked to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, that he's safe in God's presence. But for us, it gets even better. In the book of Hebrews, Jesus is the greater temple. He's the more glorious temple where we now can meet with God. It's not in a place, it's through a person. When we become united to Christ by faith, Jesus hides us in him, conceals us in him, and lifts us. We are secure in Christ and accepted by him forever. Colossians 3, verse 3, Paul says, For you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Your old self, when you believe in Jesus Christ, when you've admitted, I am a sinner, I can't do anything to fix this on my own. I need Christ and I rely upon him alone and what he did for me at the cross. He died the death I deserve, was raised to new life, and I come to him humbly asking for forgiveness of my sins, that I would believe in you and follow you as Lord of my life. When that happens, you're united to him by faith and he hides you with him. And his righteousness is yours. You're fully secure in Christ. He's accepted you and approved of you through his blood shed for you on the cross. So liberating. This is so, this is so liberating when this truth lands on you, okay? Listen to this. My identity is not rooted in what others think of me or what I pretend to be. It's in what Christ has done for me, and that won't change. Amen? I'm going to say that again. My identity is not rooted in what others think of me or what I pretend to be. It's in what Christ has done for me, and that will not change. It will not change. So then how can we be liberated from the fear of man? We see glory. We see the glory of God, and we find security. We find security in Christ. So if you repented of your sins and trusted in Christ alone, you are forgiven today. You are accepted, you're approved, and he's lifted you up as his beloved. And that's good news for fearful people like us. Listen, if the God of the universe loves you, accepts you, has embraced you, you're secure. He cannot love you more. He will not love you less. So don't care so much about what other people think. Don't be so preoccupied with that. Dwell in what Jesus thinks of you. You are his beloved. And as we close, I'm praying that God would free us today, that the Spirit would liberate us even now from this sin, this fear of man. But I think it's important to remember that this is a process for all of us. Sanctification is often slow. But don't let that disappoint you. It's slow for even the greatest of saints, even for the apostle Peter. This was a process. You think about this. Peter is the poster boy for the fear of man, isn't he? Think about the apostle Peter in his life. Remember Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the the son of the living God. And Jesus is like, you are absolutely right. And flesh didn't reveal that to you, Peter. 
but on you, this rock, I will build my church. And on the apostles and the word of God, you are my leader, my chosen leader. And yet, not much time passes. And we find in Luke chapter 22, you remember what happens. There's Peter. And a servant girl comes up, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, this man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, woman, I don't know him. Who do people say that I am? You're the Christ, the son of the living God. Weren't you with him? Oh, I don't even know him. Denies him three times. Fears even a servant girl, slave. Peter slips back into the same sin again, even after receiving the Holy Spirit and preaching the gospel to thousands and seeing people come to know Jesus. We see in Galatians chapter 2, Paul says, but when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing fearing the circumcision party, these Jewish leaders. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically doing along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step, notice that, not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Now, I'm not going to get into all of, of this in its context, but I just want to say this. Peter slipped right back into the same sin again of pleasing man. When he was around these Jews, he cared more about what they thought and less about the gospel that freed them both. And here he is fearing again what they're thinking. By the way, do you have the boldness of Paul when your brother is doing this to stop him in his tracks and say, hey man, you're not in line with the gospel. I love you enough to confront you. We've got to do that for each other more, in love, sharing the truth. But I love this. Peter was in process, wasn't he? He was in process, and yet at the end of his life, he's writing this in 1 Peter chapter 3, just a few years before he dies, look at what he says. He tells them, have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Listen, he's, he's, he's saying this. He's saying, I'm a man now consumed with my Lord. Don't fear others. Love others right into the kingdom of God. Even those who oppose you, even those who might kill you. He says, have no fear of them, but honor Jesus as Lord and be ready to share the hope that you have. It's as if he's saying, you've been liberated by the Lord to love others with the gospel, even if they kill you. Do we fear man or do we love our fellow man enough to share with them the truth of the gospel? And we know, according to tradition, Peter died a martyr's death following in the footsteps of his Savior. But did you know that he wanted to be crucified head down because he felt unworthy to die in the same manner as Jesus? And yet I suspect this was not a sacrifice because for Peter, Jesus was the most glorious person he knew. And he was ready to follow him no matter 
what? He feared God more than he feared man. How about you? God is glorious. God is glorious so we don't have to fear others. God is glorious so we don't have to fear others. For Peter, this was a process and so it will be for all of us. But let's pray. Let's pray today that he would release us from our fear of others and liberate us so that we can love others and tell others about our glorious God. Let's pray. Father, we need your help in this. We admit to you that our default is often to fear man, to try to be accepted and approved by others, to care so much about what other people think that we're unwilling to even surrender to you, Jesus. I pray for one here today who is kind of on the fence. He would show them how glorious and how great and how good and gracious you are. And they couldn't help but say, yes, Jesus, I need you in my life. I'm crossing over this line of faith and I want to trust you and rely on you fully as my Lord and Savior. Whatever that would mean, wherever you ask me to go and whatever you want me to do, I'm yours. Lord, I pray for us as those who often are so preoccupied with ourselves that you would free us to be preoccupied with Jesus so much so that our hearts would be overflowing with his love and we could be liberated to love others as you have first loved us, Jesus. I pray for us as a family here that we would be known by our love because we're so secure. We have found our resting place in Christ alone. And Father, you are with us as we go from here so we don't have to fear others. You are more glorious, so help us have that picture of you and imagining you right next to us as we go about our day this week. We pray in Christ's name, amen.